0: Good morning, Doxa. Man, it is it's great to see you guys today. Hopefully you guys had a, a great restful Thanksgiving. I'm still kind of waking up from my food coma. You know, the I always forget during these big feasting meals that I have like a gluten sensitivity. And I never th- knew that that existed until I started recognizing that I just live in a fog. And it, that's what it does. And so I'm still coming out of that. So if you sense that, that's what's going on, okay? Um, but guys, so good to be together. I'm excited to, to continue in this this series that we, we started as we launched this church what, like two, three months ago now. Um, but we're in the, the Gospel of Luke. So go ahead and open up your Bible to Luke chapter 8. We're going to be dealing with a section um, that's going to be starting in verse 22, which shows us the the calming of a storm, all right? So Jesus does this miraculous thing, and he calms this storm on the on the Sea of Galilee. But guys, here's how I want to begin, okay? Guys, when it, when it comes to this passage, um, I just want you to know that that just like you, I'm, I'm walking with Jesus, and I'm trying to learn this. I'm, I'm getting into the, the Word, I'm getting into the Bible, and I'm hearing God speak, and, and I'm learning this. And and guys, as I've prepared to, and studied this this passage to to give to the church today, it's honestly been um, a challenge for me. I feel like the stuff that we're going to get into is is a lot of the things that that I've been learning over the last year. Um, and 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 I know, guys, as we get into this, this is going to relate to so many people. That if you're in this place of of maybe just going through it in life right now, and, and there's some suffering, there's some hardship. I think what Jesus is going to teach us today is going to deal directly for you, but. It, if you're even not and life is good, you can know that because you're alive and you're human and you live in this broken world, suffering and hardship is going to come, and this is the type of thing that, that we need to wrestle with and, and, and get real with. And so I wanted to just start by just even just praying, and I want to read this verse in Isaiah 41.10. Okay, so my kids, I told you last week that my house is just like a constant musical. Everybody's always singing, right, and welcoming you home and all this stuff. And so th- my kids have this, this CD called Seeds Worship, And uh, it's like a bunch of kids' worship music, and it's like the worst thing in the world. It's actually really great because it's like teaching them biblical truth through song, but it's the worst because it like gets stuck in your head, and you literally can't, it feels like a worm that's like penetrating into your head. You can't quite get it out. So I'm like at the gym, like trying to do some like heavy weight on the bench, feeling manly, and all of a sudden I'm singing this like kid song. It's terrible. But anyway, this song, Isaiah 4110, I'm singing it right now in my head, and it's actually been helping me a lot as I've thought about this what Jesus is going to be doing here in Luke chapter 8. and I just wanted to read it to start off with, okay? Isaiah says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And as I've been thinking about this, guys, I, d- I just feel like in this place of just being weak and needy before God, of, of just really needing his help. Um, to, to understand what he's talking to us about today. And so I'm just going to pray for us that that this would be a morning that, that we would hear well, we would be receptive to what God is teaching us, knowing that it would change everything about us, okay? So just pray with me, and, and then we'll jump in, okay? So God, um, as your kids that are just needy, we just ask you to do what you say you will do, and just help us. Help us to hear you. Help us to put aside everything that's That's going on right now and just give our attention to you knowing that when the bible speaks that you speak that you want to break into our lives today to teach us something to transform our lives to give us a an accurate view of who you are who we are and what it means to be in christ and so god uh, would you just light up the words of scripture that you've inspired to be written and just teach us something and we ask this in jesus name amen all right so luke chapter 8 for those of you who have been. Following along with us, we're, we're going through this, this gospel account for the, the whole year, okay? And Jesus, he's come on the scene of, of human history. He's been teaching and demonstrating to the world around him who he is, and he's really just started to gather these, these people. These people start to follow him, and they're, they're identifying themselves as, as his disciples. And what he's doing is he's simply just teaching them what it means to love God and to live for God and to really just leverage their life for the good of those around them. All right, this is what's going on. And when one of the big things that I, I've taken away so far in, in our journey through the first eight chapters is this thing that Jesus emphasized last week in verse 18 of chapter 8. If you, if you look back, that Jesus is, is teaching his disciples and he tells them how important it is that they hear well. He says to pay attention to how you hear, how you listen. And as he's doing this, guys, what this is doing is this is actually pointing backwards to verse 16, where Jesus is talking about two men who are building a house. And he says that one of these men were were wise and the other man was was a foolish man. And and he says that the one who is foolish and who's a foolish builder is the one that hears words from God but fails to do anything with them, that he doesn't apply anything that he hears as he opens up the Bible, as he gathers a church, and he, he doesn't apply anything to his life. And Jesus says that, that when the storms of life come, that this man's life is just like a house that is built without a foundation. All right, And just like a house that is built without a foundation, when the storm comes, when the winds come, that house will literally just crumble to the ground. And he says our lives will do the same when we don't hear well. All right, and when we don't have an accurate view of who God is and we're not acting in obedience on the word of God in our life. And these people that Jesus is talking about, guys, this is where it'll maybe hit home a little bit to us, is these are maybe the people that they, they come to church, they, they hear a sermon, and they talk about how great it was, right? Some of you in the younger generation, you're doing the fire emojis after all this stuff. I'm still not sure what that exactly means. But you're, you're talking about how great this sermon is, and then they, they walk out of here, they're all inspired, and they, but they don't do anything about it. They, they don't act on it. They don't obey what they heard. And they just walk out of here. They forget about what they heard. And when the sto- storms of life come and the difficulties in life come, these are the people that really just kind of fall away from God. They leave the church. They walk away from Jesus. Because we don't want to be a church like that. All right, that we want to hear from God and we respond to God. One of our core values, guys, is just movement. And part of this is this idea of obedience that Jesus has been teaching the disciples, is that we hear from God and then we have the courage through the power of the Holy Spirit and the discipline of the church body around us that we lock arms with each other and we just do what we hear God say. This is how we become like Jesus. And so what we're going to see today, guys, starting in verse 22, it's a time of testing for the disciples. The storm is going to come in a very real way to teach us a a very significant thing about Jesus and about living a life following him. Because it's important to know up until this point, life was just really kind of easy and great for the disciples who were following Jesus. All right, they were just learning what it means to follow him. Jesus has given these amazing teachings. He's, he's doing these, these shows with like, not shows, that's kind of like being flippant, but he's, he's doing these miracles, right? And people are just like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. This is entertaining at the very least. And nothing difficult has really come their way. But you guys have been alive long enough that you know that life in our broken world means that something bad, something hard, some type of suffering is always around the corner, and like the disciples here, it's really kind of where the rubber meets the road. It's where our faith becomes real. It does what we believe affect how we live and how we view the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And this experience of the storm on the Sea of Galilee is going to put the, the disciples' faith to the test. All right So let's go ahead and read this. We're going to be in Luke chapter eight verse 22. I'll just read it and then we'll get, we'll get right into it. This is what we see. One day, he got into a boat with his disciples. This is Jesus. And he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came on the lake, and they were, filled, and they were filled, filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this? that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Guys, here's what's going on. All right, As we watch the disciples in this time of testing of their faith, all right, they don't really do very well. Okay, And ultimately, they don't do well because they're not, they haven't learned to trust well. And this is the issue in this entire section. It's trusting Jesus. And so as we get into this, we need to ask the question, the very real question, just ask yourself this, is do I trust God? I want you to write that in your Bible right next to this passage. Write it down so you can talk about it at Connection Group. Do you trust God? I mean, really, do we trust God when it comes to our life and our circumstances? And I know, especially for those of you who are Christians and you've grown up in the church, the easy, flippant answer is to be like, oh, of course I do. That's what it means to be a Christian. But really, I mean, do we really trust God? Because, guys, this is such a big deal for us today. This answer literally affects Everything. It affects your eternity, your sanity, your ability to have any amount of joy and peace in this world at all. Do you trust God? And So let's dig into this, okay? There's basically three elements to this account that we see. We're going to see an everyday event, a moment of chaos, and then just a series of questions, all right? And, and it's all at the backdrop of answering that question, do I trust God? All right, so take a look back at verse 22. One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. All right, there's a few things for for us to notice here. Number one, notice that that Luke is really just describing just an everyday common activity for these men. All right, for for these men that Jesus' disciples that he's talking to, they were professional fishermen. Okay, so to to sail across the sea would have been just another day at the office for them. It wouldn't have been something that they were stressed about. It would have just been literally something that they could have done in their sleep. They've done hundreds of times. They felt completely competent and comfortable and in control with this event. And and we're going to come back to that. But this was not a big deal for them. They were just sailing. This is what they did every day. But in addition to this, what Jesus says is when he says, let's just go across to the other side of the lake. I want you to know that this is at the end of a very busy day in ministry. And Jesus is just really tired from all the people around him, that he's helping and they're pulling at him, they're asking him for stuff. And, and we get a glimpse at Jesus's humanity here, right? That he just needs a break. And he says, okay, like we, we just got to get out of here for just a minute, okay? Have you better been that? Those of you who have kids, you're like, okay, let's just put them in front of the TV and just go sit outside for just one minute, right? I just need a break. This is Jesus. He's, he's saying, we just need a break. And he says, we can just sail to the other side." of this lake. And, and while we get over there, we're going to have ministry to do. But while we're sailing, we can just rest and recuperate. And, and we're going to talk about the significance of this. But here's how you can think about Jesus, okay? He's just totally exhausted, All right, He's the guy that on a plane, you guys have flown in a plane, he's the guy that you get in the plane, you put your your luggage up in the thing, and you sit down, you're like, how you doing? You buckle, and then you look over, and he's just like, Conked out, drooling already, right? He falls asleep on the tarmac before you even take off. This is Jesus. He's that tired. He's just exhausted. I don't think he was drooling, but maybe, right? He's just sleeping in a boat. So he's tired. And guys, I am just struck by this. And I just want to pause and say, don't you just love that Jesus sleeps? I mean, think about that. God's sleeping. Have you thought about that? Well, I mean, why can Jesus sleep? Because, guys, so many of us, if we, if we to- put a poll in this room and just like, ask, like, how many of you guys are able to sleep at night in total peace? Many people, especially in America, we have sleepless nights because we're worried about everything. We're trying to control everything. We have a million things going on that we think, man, I just got to do all of this stuff. But Jesus, unlike many of us who can't sleep at night because we're so worried about things happening, he has peace. And he can sleep because he knows the Father is in control. And I think there's something for us to learn here. In this little glimpse of Jesus' humanity, he sleeps. Like, are you able to sleep and be in peace, knowing that the Father is in control? Or are you constantly spinning because you want to be in control? Think about that as we, as we go through this. All right, but these fishermen, all right, as we're watching, Jesus is sleeping, these fishermen are just doing what they always do. They're sailing across the sea, all right? They've spent their whole lives doing this. They're very comfortable, but look, what's, look what happens. Verse 23, a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger, okay? So now, let me, let me pause and, and back out a little bit, okay? When we started this series through Luke, all right, we established that Luke is a, is a physician and he's a historian. Right, which he's writing from a historical perspective, that the, the gospel of, of Luke is not so much written from a perspective of religious inspiration, but historical facts. And when we, when we understand this, we, we see this place like the, the Sea of Galilee or the, the Lake of Gennesaret, as, as Luke calls it. Same lake, same body of water, just called different things. We know that this is actually a real body of water. It exists today. And even today, you could go there and visit it, and it's known for producing quick kind of out of the blue storms because of its geography. All right, and and geographically speaking, this lake is is a fairly big body of water, okay? It's 13 miles long, it's about six and a half, seven miles wide, all right? And it's in the midst of, it's surrounded by mountains, all right, some of which are about 9,000 feet high. And as a result of all this geography, what happens is that the the cold air coming off the top of the mountains comes down the mountains in such a way that it meets the warm air rising from the lake, and it just erupts into these violent, out-of-the-blue storms. And now you add on top of that that this lake is actually a very shallow lake, so it gets very choppy and the waves get very, very large. All right, so what happens here is that this storm, it just comes out of the blue. And, And it's not just a common storm. And I I want you to see this. It's not a common storm, but it's much more intense. And if you're reading along and you're thinking like, okay, where are you getting that? You're kind of pulling that out of somewhere. Because we can gather this by looking at how the disciples react. Because remember, they're they're fishermen. They're they're professionals. They, They live on the water. They make a living on the water. So they would have been in storms their whole life. In just any other storm, like they would navigate this with no problem. They wouldn't have any reason to freak out. It wouldn't have been bothered. They would have had things completely under control. But what I want you to see is, guys, this everyday activity of them just sailing across the sea quickly turned into this moment of chaos because they had never seen a storm like this. And when they came into this moment where they were just out of control, they started panicking and freaking out. And look what happens in verse 24. And they went and woke Jesus up saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. They're saying, we're dying. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. Two things. Number one, look at what the passengers are doing, okay? So Jesus is sleeping in the midst of all this craziness, and the disciples are kind of running around thinking that they're going to die, that they're just freaking out, all right? And, And here's what's happening with the disciples, guys. Because of the intensity of the storm that they found themselves in, they had reached the point where they, they were past that point where they felt like they were under control and they could handle everything that was coming. Hear that. They had reached the point where they were past it. They were past the point that they realized that we're not in control anymore. We cannot do anything. We can't control what's happening. And as they lost control of their life, they started freaking out. Guys, have you been in a situation like this? where you totally have lost control of your life, of the situations around you, where you can't, you can't, you can't change it. It's just happening. But as you walk through life, you seem to have a handle on all that life is going on and you're controlling everything in such a way that you, you just feel comfortable and, and everything is kind of going and then all of a sudden, wham, something happens. A storm comes and everything changes and you realize you're not in control. Has that happened to you? This has happened to me quite a bit in in my life. I think the most recent one I was talking with Lisa is is right before we moved here, not many months before we moved to to Madison to to plant the church. We were hanging out, and she was having some like headache issues and and stuff like this, and some health stuff. And we put the kids to bed, and we put in a movie, and we were just gonna watch a movie on that. We didn't put in a movie like a VCR or something like what, what are we talking about, right? But we were gonna watch a movie, all right. And and all of a sudden she just like her face just turned like white and she was scared and crying and freaking out. And all of a sudden, half of her body just went numb. And we're like, oh my gosh, she's having a heart attack. Like, what is she, what's, what's going on? And, and I remember she's freaking out, shaking, crying. And I'm sitting there being like, I, I literally don't know what to do. Like, there's nothing I can do. She's, my wife is going to die. And and we're, I'm like, do we need to call the, the, the cops, the ambulance, I don't even know what the protocol is with this. We, we got our neighbor to come over in the middle of the night. We throw her in the car and I'm like driving just down the street, like 80 miles an hour to the hospital. We get to the hospital, we're throwing her, they're hooking her up to machines. I'm just yelling at everybody because I don't know what else to do. And that's just what I did. I just started yelling. I hit in the, kicked in the coach mode and, and it, it's just like I was at this place, guys. I, it was the most uncomfortable th- place that I literally was in a place that I could not control anything. Then I'm, I'm looking at my wife, I'm like, oh my gosh, she's, I'm going to have to raise my kids all by myself. And I don't know what this is going to, I can't fix this, and I'm a fixer. And you're at that place where you're just not in control anymore. And everything worked out, and she ended up having like some really bad, weird migraine stuff that was a special migraine that basically made her body go numb. And so we fixed all that, and it's fine. But the point is, it's this place where you reach the point of I'm not in control anymore. Guys, and I want you to know, if you are one of those people that you're kind of like a control freak, like me, and you think that you can just grab life by the horns and that you're in control and you have the hand on the wheel, all this stuff, control is a complete illusion. And Jesus is kind enough, and God is such a good father that he's teaching us that right now. So we don't have to be blindsided by life anymore, that we can learn this. But there's two types of people, my dad used to say. There's the people that you can tell, like, hey, this is true, and they believe it. And then there's other people that need to get hit in the face with a two by four, right? (laughs) Before they believe it. I'm that type, right? And most people are. But Jesus is saying, like, control is a total illusion. You're not in control. And you can either learn it by hearing God's word and responding to it, hearing it well, like Jesus says in verse 18, or you can learn it just by going through suffering and realize when you don't, Jesus is all you have left, and you're like, okay, yeah, I'm not in control. But we as people, we tend to be so comfortable in life when we feel like we have our hands around everything and when when we're in control. But when situations like this storm comes up and we realize that, man, I can't control this sickness, I can't control this death, I can't control this financial situation. We have, there's nothing else we can do. We freak out. We have anxiety and depression. We can't sleep. Because Jesus is different. As God, he's actually in control and he sleeps because nothing is outside of his plan. And God, because what we could see of this is what we just need to learn to rest in him and trust him for that same peace that allows him to sleep. And the disciples here, they're not quite getting this. They're having their faith stretched a lot by this storm. All right? and, and, and the questions coming up is, do I trust Jesus? I, I see this. Like, as they're, I mean, just picture it. The boat is, is crazy. They're, they're thinking they're going to die. And I just see that, that question swirling around. They're like looking back and like, okay, there's our, there's our master. There's this guy that's doing these miracles. Like, do I really trust him? Like He said that like, I'm going to have like eternal life and all this stuff, but he's sleeping and it looks like I'm going to die. Do I trust God? Do I trust Jesus? That's the question. And they're just in this complete panic because I don't know if they really do. And so what do they do? They go over and they wake up Jesus, all right? And it's not one of those things like, you know, when I wake up my daughter in the morning, it's like, hey, baby girl, like, hey, sorry to bother you. Time to get up. No, look, what are they doing? They're yelling. I, I, they're like, Jesus, we're dying. Like, do you not care? I, I mean, Peter's probably, knowing Peter in the Bible, he's probably throwing a bucket on Jesus and doing all this stuff, something stupid, right? But he's, he, they're freaking out. And they're saying, we're dying. Now, pause, because how are the disciples doing with their faith? Not, Not super great, right? And it seems like that some of the things that Jesus had been teaching them that they hadn't heard it well, and they've forgotten about the things that he said in the midst of this fear and this loss of control. And so I'll ask you the question, guys, how did you do the last time a storm rocked your life? I mean, if you're like me, you, you didn't do that well, okay? And ultimately, I think the reason that we don't do that well at times when we hit, have these storms in our life that just hit us and rock us is because at times we don't really trust God as we should. And, I, and I've heard it said before that, that worry and fear in the life of a Christian is atheism sneaking in. That the only reason that we should worry and and really fear is because we stop believing that God is good and God is in control. And we take God off the throne and say, okay, well, now there's a big reason to worry. Like, God is is not in control. Okay, so we have to ask this question. Do I trust God? Now, the second thing to see in this is this. All right, Jesus wakes up. They wake him up. And immediately He speaks. And he starts rebuking this storm, and then all of a sudden the storm just stops and it goes calm. All right, the rain stops, the wind stops, the waves go calm. And as a result, what we're to learn here is that Jesus is is in fact God. He's in fact king, and he has authority over everything, even nature. This is what we're the big idea of this passage, that this is the king's power that we're seeing. And we're going to come back to this. But if you've ever been on or near a large body of water during a storm, I grew up on Lake Erie, one of the great lakes In Ohio, right by Cleveland. And so we had a boat growing up, and so we were on the water all the time. But if you've if you've grown up on or near water and you've seen a storm, like you know that when a storm is going and and all of a sudden it stops, the rain and the wind can all stop, but the but the lake is still churning, right? The water is still going, there's still waves and and everything is just raging, and it takes a significant amount of time for those waves to, to settle and to go calm. But that's not what happens here. All right, but Jesus speaks. And then suddenly everything goes calm, right? Have you ever driven down a John Nolan? My favorite view of the city, John Nolan Drive. You're driving down and you get that beautiful glimpse of the Capitol. In those days where you go past and it just like looks like the water is just like a sheet of glass. Have you seen it like that? Right in front of the terrace. I love that. This is what happened. You had these huge waves and everything. And Jesus just speaks. And in a moment, it just goes to glass, he has that kind of power. Now remember, guys, Luke's gospel is this historical account. And in his history that he has in, in this gospel, it stood the test of time. It stood up to academic scrutiny and all of this stuff. And here's why I say this, okay? Because it could be really easy to say, I get it, Rob. You, to, you keep telling me that this is not philosophy. It's history. And these historical facts, they're real. These people that he mentions, they're real. These places, I know we get it. It's real. They're true. It's good history. But this miracle, meh. That's, I mean, it's probably like allegorical or something like that. Like, that's not really a real thing. But guys, I want you to know This is all history. That Luke, in his researching and writing, he would have taken years to travel through the region and interview these people that were involved with Jesus. That he interviewed these guys. He talked with Peter that were on this boat and he asked them what exactly happened. And as he gathered the information as a historian, he saw, did their their stories corroborate? And then he recorded it as good, solid history. And so I just want you to know that this is emphatically true, that this actually happened. All right, that we can't just say these people and places that Luke say are true, but these miracles are not. It actually happened. Now, consider this, guys. Jesus speaks and calms the storm. Now, have you ever asked the question or considered, like, why does Jesus speak here? Like, why does he speak? It's, it's not that, like, waves in a storm have an ear like we do, right? I mean, he could have done anything. He could have went... And it could have, I don't know, that was weird, right? Like he could have literally done, that was the weirdest sound I've ever made. But he could have literally done anything. He didn't, he didn't have to speak, but he chose to speak. So the question is, is why? Why did he speak to the storm? Here it is. Guys, it's for you. It's for me. So that you would know that you would know that he is God and he's in control, that he didn't need to say anything, but he speaks for his disciples to hear so that they could have assurance that he is God and that he is complete control and he's sovereign over everything. And they didn't need to freak out. They didn't need to worry. They just needed to trust in him. This is Luke's whole thing with his gospel. In Luke chapter 1, the first four or five verses, you see he's writing to the Theophilus. And what does he say? The reason I'm writing is why? So you can have certainty in your faith. This is why Jesus speaks, to give the disciples, to give us certainty of who he is, that we can see his power and that we can begin to actually say, I trust in him. We see the same thing in creation account, right? In, in Genesis chapter 1, Jesus, he, God speaks. He speaks and, and everything comes to be. In Genesis 1-3, it says that God spoke and there was light And in verse nine, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in the same place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God speaks and things come to be. And I love the fact that here he's with his disciples and he's now speaking into the creation that he created and he's telling it what to do. And the whole point of all this, guys, and I want you to know this, is that Jesus is not just the savior, but he's also the king who rules all of creation that nothing is outside of his control and reign. And that should fill us with all types of thoughts and feelings and all this stuff, but the greatest of which it should fill us with awe and it should fill us with trust and hope that it's not about me, that it's always about Jesus, that God reveals himself as a father, that a father that is loving, that he takes care of his kids, and we have to be careful not to project our earthly fathers on our heavenly father but he's a perfect father who cares for his kids but he's also not just a father but he's, a, he's the cosmic king he's the creator god and so we can trust in his love and we can trust in his power and he speaks and he demonstrates it all by calming the storm now put yourself try and put yourself in the boat in this moment the disciples they they go from freaking out and they're thinking like they're literally saying we're going to perish we're going to die And then Jesus said, whatever he said, stop. I almost made that noise again. I didn't do it. He stops, and everything goes quiet. And the disciples are just standing there, and you can imagine, they're kind of like, what the heck was that all about? Right? I mean, it it would be the weirdest thing in the world to have happen. You're, You're in this storm, and then all of a sudden, gone. Nothing. It's calm. Look what happens. Verse 25. After he calms the storm, he said to them, where is your faith? I want you to circle that in your Bible. That's a big question. Where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled saying to one of those. So look at this. They were afraid. They were afraid of the storm and then all of a sudden Jesus calms the storm and now they're afraid of him. <laughs> they're like, you know, they're just like filled with fear. They don't know what's going on. And what do they say? They were saying to one another, who then is this? I want you to circle that. That's another big question. Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? So two questions. Jesus asks one, and then the disciples ask one. And we're going to start with the disciples, and they ask, who is this? And guys, this is a great question. All right? And it's not just a great question. It's actually a question that reveals the divinity of Jesus. That we're seeing through this historical account, the divinity and the humanity of Jesus coming together. All right? That we, we need to understand that you know, we sing this song. In Christ alone, right, fullness of God and helpless babe, that we have Jesus, fully God and fully man. We see this in this passage here in Luke chapter 8. He's fully man. He's doing all this ministry and he's tired. He's sleeping in the boat. He's, he's a man just like us, but he's also fully God, that he can speak to a storm and make it go calm. And what has happened in the history of Christianity is that some churches and people, they stress the humanity of Jesus and what it leads to is it leads to a very liberal theology, Right, that they think that Jesus is just a man, so when it comes to the Bible and him speaking, they're like it eventually boils down to, well, he gives us like a, a good way to live. He's a moral guy and we should just follow him. It's a very liberalistic view of the Bible. Now, on the other side of the spectrum, those who stress like the divinity of Jesus, they swing the opposite way and, and they are more fundamental in their views and they miss out on like Hebrews, this great passage about having a great high priest that can that can sympathize with us in our weakness because he wasn't fully man, but he was just divine. The Bible says that we should emphasize both. and if we don't emphasize both, we lose the gospel. The gospel is no longer real anymore. Jesus is fully God. He's fully man. One person, two natures. He's God become a man to identify with us and save us. And this is such a big deal, theologically speaking, that literally it falls and Christianity rises and falls upon this. All right, that in AD uh, 451, there was a bunch of Christian leaders came together for a council and they brought together these, all these people for the Council of Chalcedon, and they wrestled with the identity of Jesus. And what they came up with was the theological term called the hypostatic union, all right? Sounds super, in, like, what does that even mean? Here's what it means. It's actually very simple. All right, hypostatic literally just means personal. And so the hypostatic union is simply the personal union of Jesus and his two natures, God and man, that he is God become a man. He's the God man. And this is why the gospel is good news for all people. Because he's he's man that he can identify with our weakness, but he's God and he's perfect, and can be a perfect sacrifice to save us from our sin. And these men here, guys, they're, they're starting to see this. They're in the boat, they're watching Jesus, and they're seeing him reveal his divinity by calming the storm. And they're recognizing, oh my gosh, this is God. God is literally in our boat. And here's how we know this. Maybe you're again, where do you get this, right? L- by looking at these men, all right? The, you got to understand the, these men, they're, they're Jews. And so they undoubtedly, they knew the Old Testament. They knew the Psalms and they knew the Psalms. They, the Psalms speak of God being the one that stills the sea. And, and I'm not going to go through a ton of them. I'm going to give you three. Take a look at a few of these Psalms. In Psalm 65, It identifies God as the one who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves. In Psalm 89, verses 8 and 9, the psalmist ascribes praise to Yahweh, saying this, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. And then Psalm 107, 29, claims of Yahweh that that he made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed, these guys understood that the only one who could steal the waters was God himself, and they're seeing Jesus do it and they're saying, oh my gosh, that's him, it's God. And they finally saw his identity. Jesus is God. They know that, he, okay, this isn't just a prophet, this isn't just a miracle worker, this isn't just a teacher anymore, but they understand the identity of Jesus. And so I'll ask you guys this, the same question, that they're asking, who is Jesus to you? And and even as you think about that, I want you to know that literally maybe that could come across as like the Sunday school question, and you're like, what are we indox of kids? Yes, right? We're all children. Okay. This is the most important, significant question that you will ever answer. Who is Jesus? And really it's the question of Advent that we begin next week. Right? In Advent, as we celebrate Christmas, what do we do? we ask, what child is this? Who is Jesus? And I hope that, guys, if you're wrestling with the identity of Jesus, my hope is that your eyes are be, being opened as we read and teach the Bible that you're, God is, is showing you his glory, and you're starting to see and understand that Jesus is actually who he says he is, and he's God. And my hope and my prayer is that we journey, as we journey through Advent, that you see Jesus, that you come to the saving knowledge of that question, who is he, and that you would realize that he is the Christ. He's God. And maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I get it. Yeah, I understand. I'm a Christian. Of course he's God. Well, then I would ask you, is that something that you're hoarding? Or do you have the perspective of, of Luke, of like, this is good news for all people? And I'd ask you the question, okay, if you know that, who, are, who do you need to invite to come explore the identity of Jesus? That's leaning into that question, Because this is what it's about. This is our prayer that we would all see Jesus for who he actually is. Who is he? Okay, now the final question in this passage, the disciples ask, who is this? Jesus asks, where is your faith? And I'll ask you that, guys. I've been wrestling with this and it makes it hard, right? Because, sure, it's so easy to say, trust in God. Have faith. When you're suffering... When you're getting your your teeth kicked in by life, the last thing you want everybody to say to you is like, hey, you just need to trust God. It's so true, but it's just so hard. Where is your faith? Because do you have a faith that allows you to walk through all the seasons of life with security and peace? Do you have a faith that allows you to realize that, that if you die, when you die, your eternity is secure? Do you have a faith that allows you to know in the midst of your brokenness and your sin and your bad decisions and your, your marriage that is just garbage because you're a terrible man, like in the midst of all of this stuff, do you have a security and a faith that says Jesus loves you, he died for you? Do you have that? That it's not about what you do, but it's about what Jesus has done for you. This is the gospel that Luke wants all of us to come and to see and to hear and to know and to accept and to live in. Do you have that view of life? And if you're sitting here and you're thinking, man, I don't know if I do, then I would just say you need a new foundation to build your life on. Where's your faith? Is it your family? Is it your money? Is it your job? at Jesus. There's only one that when life throws these storms at you because of the brokenness that we live in, that's going to help you get to the other side of the lake, and it's Jesus. And guys, in in the late 1800s, there was a a man named Horatio Spafford who was a successful lawyer and a a businessman in Chicago. He had a wife and five kids. He had four little girls and and a little boy. And in 1871, their youngest son died of, of pneumonia. And in that same year, a couple months after, much of their business was, was lost by the Great Chicago Fire. Uh, but, but Spafford, he kept walking forward. He was a man of faith, a man of God. And then on November 21st, 1873, a couple years after this, okay, so he had just lost his business, his money, his livelihood, and he lost his baby boy. Spafford's family was, was set to travel to, to Europe on an ocean liner. and so him and his family and about 300 other passengers were on board. And although Spafford was, was planned to go with his family, because he had to solve some unexpected business issues, he decided to stay back. But he told his wife and his four little girls to go ahead and that he would take the next ship in like a week and meet them over there after he finished everything going on. In about four days into the crossing of the Atlantic, all right, the ship that Spafford and his little girls and his wife were on, it collided with another ship, okay. And within 12 minutes, the entire ship sank, completely gone. And 226 of the passengers drowned and were never seen again, including four of, all four of Spafford's little girls. And somehow, Spafford's wife, he, he, she was found floating by a, a boat that was passing by, and, and they rescued her, and she was taken to Wales, and as she, they brought her back to life. Well, the first thing she did when she woke up is she wired her husband a, a message, and this is what she said. The, f- the first line of her message was, Saved alone, what shall I do? And upon getting this message, Spafford just immediately booked the next passage that he could get on the next ship to go be with his, his wife. But as the ship was about four days out, he passed over the place. All right? the, the captain of the ship told Spafford that this is the place that your daughters went down. And on that place, Spafford wrote the song, It Is Well With My Soul. If you've been around the church at all, you've sung hymns, you you know you've sang this song. This is what happened. He's on the, the water, going through this storm of life. He's just lost all of his children, his business. And he's sitting there on the place where they died, and he's writing this song. And the words of this song say this, when peace like a river, attendeth my soul my way when sorrow like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul guys I want you to know I tell you that not to say that Horatio was some terrific man and like a super optimistic guy He, he he really wasn't he had one thing right though that allowed him to endure such a storm in life as this. And it's Jesus. And I want you to know, guys, that the the only thing, only Jesus can give that perspective and that type of strength to get through the storm of life like that. And this is what Jesus is giving us today. This is what Luke wants to give us. This is good news for all people. It's a perspective shift to help us walk through the hardships of life because you're all going to go through it. You're going through it right now. And so let me give you just this one thing to consider, one application. I would say this, guys. Go to Jesus first. If there's one thing that we can get right from this, it's that. That's the action step. Go to Jesus first. That, guys, as we live our lives, there's going to be times where we're just exhausted. There's gonna be times where we're tired. There's gonna be times where we're suffering and we're depressed. There's gonna be times where crisis is gonna be out of control and coming out of nowhere and knocking you in the teeth and knocking you down. And we're just gonna be completely disoriented. We're gonna be depressed. We're gonna be full of anxiety. We're gonna have all this stuff going on in our lives and fear is gonna take us over. Just like the disciples here in this storm. Just like Horatio. And whenever we find ourselves in this place, guys, it's always good for us to do what the disciples did, that that we can rag on them and say their faith wasn't great and all this stuff, but they did something so right. What'd they do? They went and found their master. They went and found Jesus. Go find Jesus first. Go to Jesus in prayer. Go to Jesus in the Bible. Find him in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your hardship, go and find him. Find him in song, in worship. Go to Jesus, fall at his feet, and just ask him for help. This is it, guys. Go to him, because he's the one that's in control. He's the one that has power. He's the one that can speak and calm everything. And just like the disciples, Jesus is gonna meet them, he's gonna help them, he's gonna serve them, and he's gonna be with them, and he's gonna do all that for us. And he's not, guys, the bad application to this is that Jesus is gonna make your storm go away. No right? He's not, right? Your life is not going to be perfect, but you'll get to the other side of the lake, right? Whenever I talk to people who are going through stuff, especially if they're walking with Jesus, the application for me is like, the worst thing you could say is it's going to be okay, because it might not be okay. Everything might change. It might be super sad, but what we can say for sure, and what we can say and know to be absolutely gospel truth is that you can make it through, you can get to the other side of the lake with Jesus. And this is what he did with his disciples. They got him to the other side of the lake. And guys, this is something that, quite honestly, I, don't, I haven't practiced well. And I want you to know that. But this is something that I work towards and I walk towards to try and have this perspective and this trust with Jesus. And so, guys, would we just be a church that goes to Jesus first? Because the overall message of this story is that God in Christ, He enters the storm with us to save us. And while He walks with us through every storm of life, the here and now, He's come primarily to save us from the storms of evil and sin and death. And our only response, our only contribution to this whole redemption project that Jesus has going on, is just to sit there as needy kids and say, I need saved. So maybe you're in this place where you're not a Christian and you need saved from your sin because on the other side of it is terrible reality of a conscious reality is separated from God when you die. And you need to be saved from that. Maybe you're just going through it right now and you love Jesus, but it's hard. Go find him. Seek him in the Bible. Seek him in prayer. Fall at his feet. Let's just go to Jesus. Let's pray with me. God, I'm, I'm so conflicted as I stand up here right now that part of me is uh, is so just thankful that you're in control and that the gospel is real, that you can speak to the storms of life and, and you're walking with me through all suffering and all hardship that I go through. And I'm so thankful for that. The other part of me is just, God, I, I hate it. I hate walking through this life that is just riddled with brokenness and pain and sin. And it's so hard for me at times when I'm suffering, when I'm going through stuff, to see you and be like, I trust you, God. And so I just confess my, my sin and my lack of trust and just ask that you would help me through the empowerment of your Holy Spirit to grow into the man that you've created me to be, to trust you to come to see you, would you just reveal yourself in such a way, God, that I could do that. Empower me to do that. Let our church be a people filled with faith. God, that we wouldn't just be great, awesome people that are super enthusiastic and love doing ministry, but would we just love you and trust you? And so, Spirit, you know where every single one of us are at. Would you just meet us here in this time of worship? Would you just help our affections to be stirred for you? Would you just give us peace, just calm the storms of life and let us see you, Jesus, as the perfect one, God, walking with us that's in control. And would you just allow us to have a perspective as we walk through life just to say it is well because we trust you.